the bigger your network and the more solid those relationships, the easier it is to solve a lot of those problems. So, mm. you know, um, what, what may have taken, you know, multiple emails and phone calls and maybe a meeting turns into just a simple phone call. Hey, uh, can you please help me out with this? And, and normally it's done. And, you know, that kind of, um, those kind of relationships and those kind of contacts is invaluable. Like it's not recorded on a balance sheet or a financial position for a business. Mm. But to, to progress things forward with that kind of uh, speed is just, you, you can't quantify it. Then generally a conversation will become, um, you start disagreeing with your friends. Mm. You know, you become a bit more defensive. You know, you put walls up. Um, you defend your point of view and you, you stop listening to other people it, it, and for me personally that's a general pattern that I've just noticed that happens um, whereas, whereas if you're let's just say you, you've taken some MDMA and uh, it could be in a festival setting or just in a, in a house setting and what I've noticed is that it breaks down barriers um, and and walls and allows, to, especially towards the end of the night or the end of the the time that you're sitting around socialising, more kind of intimate parts of a conversation will come up, and you'll discuss you'll start discussing things that are more personal to you and that you might not have discussed before, um, you know, and 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 then you start hearing other people's points of view and because of the chemical reaction in your brain you become more empathetic and more understanding and so you let that that point of view come in or you let that perspective come in mm. and and that might alter the way you see something or it just might alter uh, the way that you that you view that person or their behavior but generally in a compassionate way mm. Mm. and um, I'm not going to speak upon the science although I've read you know some reports that that is the case that is what's going on and it seems to it, it, it seems to ring true mm. and i think that that's a super interesting thing and, and i think that's when i really started to 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 understand or listen to other people's points of views or the way they see things or the struggles that they have um, that i wasn't aware of before hello friends and welcome to another episode of couple of lattes with your host me jacques massey I'm on a mission to give people wings and roots and Couple of Lattes is a podcast designed to offer simple solutions to your perceived problems, empowering you to take charge of your life. Couple of Lattes brings powerful conversations with some of the most insightful people in the world straight to your ears. You can listen to new episodes every Monday, Wednesday and Friday on your chosen podcast platform and you can even watch it on YouTube. Anyway, time to create some purpose and find some meaning in your life with this episode of Couple of Lattes. Welcome back to In Conversation. Today's guest is my good friend and someone I look up to in many ways, Jason Harvey. Today's chat is an exploration into his life as a serial entrepreneur. Uh, his stories go from selling ice at music festivals to creating an incredible uh, global coffee brand called Common. 
Uh, Jason is also uh, a remarkably spiritual person and it's really interesting to discuss his spiritual evolution. Uh, and also, uh, as the title suggests, we dive a little bit into MDMA. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting chat, entrepreneurship and MDMA with my good friend, Jason Harvey. For anyone who wants to get in contact with Jason Harvey, find out about the amazing coffee he does through Common uh, with his business partners. You can check out the links in the uh, description below. And let's get into this conversation with the powerful, the legendary Jason Harvey. And this is obviously biased because I'm your friend, but I think you've yeah. had a pretty, um, a pretty interesting life in terms of the variety of things that you've done. Um, so yeah. I think to start with, like I obviously know you, but yeah. anyone who's listening to this right now doesn't really know you. So who yeah. are you? And then tell us about your journey and specifically the diverse things that you've done uh, in regards to being an entrepreneur. Like I consider you a serial entrepreneur. You come from a really entrepreneurial family, but then also like you've kind of done all this, what most people would consider maybe extreme stuff, like your circumnavigation of New Zealand, for example. So maybe yeah. tell us a little bit about who you are, Jason. And then tell me about your journey from, right. I guess, when I met you through to now. I suppose, okay. Well, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, so, yeah, name's Jason. I kind of grew up on the North Shore of, of Auckland. Um, and I guess probably one of the prominent turning points is actually before I, before I met you, Jacques. Um, and I guess, like, uh, I grew up in a, in a very, very supportive loving family that was uh, allowed me to like pursue different whatever I was interested in really um which was pretty cool um and I guess you know in like reflecting back I was very fortunate you know I didn't really probably realize that at the time um mm. and yeah you know as you go through life and you you meet people and you experience different cultures you you kind of realize how fortunate that that was that wasn't the norm mm. so that so that was pretty cool um and yeah mum and dad they they ran their own businesses uh together so it was quite a tight family dynamic um and and dad always like yeah uh, um dad was always quite um you know encouraged us to plan and save and i guess any bit of new material he came across on his like personal journey or uh he would share with us and so um you know i was quite I kind of had a really fair idea what I wanted to do out of school. I was, uh, I, I was just finishing up like um, being really into my surf lifesaving. And then I wanted uh, to study travel and tourism and I wanted to take off and travel and mm. I'd saved, I'd saved a decent amount of money. Mm. Um, and anyway, I, I ended up uh, in Jersey. I got offered a job to lifeguard in Jersey and I thought, okay, that's a good place to start. Go to Europe, have a job, have some income and, Anyway, while I was there, I was reading like quite a lot of adventure books, Sir Hidden Hillary, like uh, Touching the Void, like lots of mountaineering kind of stuff. Mm. And um, and I and, and yeah, I did save a bunch of money, and I and I got back to New Zealand, and I'd had this big trip, and but I kind of came back to New Zealand with more money than I left, <laughs> and you know, and I was like, I could have done more, like I could have did I miss out on heaps of stuff because I was kind of too focused on like um, pursuing this, this uh, career in travel and tourism 
or like making sure I had enough money saved in the bank. Like, did I miss out on lots of things? And so I kind of got back and I went on a bit of a spending spree. Like I just kind of started spending the money that I'd saved. Uh, and I know that might come as a, a bit of a surprise to some of my friends from school because they used to hassle me for being a bit tight with money. Um, but I just, it, you know, I, I'd, I'd watched it for so long and then all of a sudden I just lost any kind of, att- uh, you know, attachment to it. Mm. Um, so that was like a really big change uh, that I just uh, kind of slowly made. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I, I was going to return to the UK again to like kind of travel more. Um, but I, I got an opportunity to, to study at, uni- at uh, AUT University um, mm. um, in the outdoor recreation. Um, uh, what was it? Like a, not a degree, but a diploma. It was a, a diploma, yeah. Yeah. That's where your yeah. life. That, that's where your life began, Jason. You met me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you met this little Portuguese guy <laughs> that kept antagonizing me. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's um, yeah, and 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 then and then that set off. And I mean, I kind of got into that because my auntie, um, my mum's youngest sister, had been living in the UK for like twenty years. And she came back and she she started studying this course. And I was seeing her quite often and she was just telling me all about these things that they were doing. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. And I'd been reading these these adventure books from the, the year before. So I was like, oh, let's um let's get stuck into that. Mm, mm. Seems like a bit of a sign uh, from the universe at the time, huh? Yeah, I guess you could say. I don't know. Like it just kind of felt right. And um, you know, um, and so we got into it and, you know, I was speaking to a good mate of ours, Quinn, last week, actually, and just reflecting on like how good a time of life that was, like mm. how how much fun that was, you know? Um, yeah, it was hard in aspects, but we were away so much. We traveled heaps. We, we were learning pretty cool skills that were, I think, a, they were pretty transferable, I reckon. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I found them pretty transferable. And uh, with a really tight-knit group of people it was a small group it wasn't like your typical go to a lecture with 400 people you're in a group of what 20 people so yeah yeah between 20 and 30 people I think the the other thing as well is um I guess it plays on your your kind of growing uh disattachment with material Mm. but like (laughs) I don't know about you but I was so fucking materially poor that entire course and noodles were always the go-to meal because trips and beer were prioritized <laughs> yeah did, did, didn't you come live with us for a little while yeah i did yeah <laughs> yeah the meals were a bit better then weren't they oh they were amazing <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i guess i was fortunate enough to still be living at home and um yeah and and, and mum and dad um had a business in australia at the time so they weren't around too much so i kind of had the house and my sister was in america so i kind of had the house to myself which was mm. you know mm. which was quite cool um yeah so we did we did that that diploma and uh you know and then you're kind of like right can you get a job in in the outdoor education you start instructing and and all that and you know and other things in life that my girlfriend at the time I met a girl and she was living in Auckland and I was living in the South Island and I decided to stay in Auckland and 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 finish off my degree which was pretty Mm. cool Mm. yeah I forgot uh, you'd done the degree yeah so I yeah stayed on uh, on in that and um but I think what all the time I was at university I always wrote my papers around uh, organizational development or people development I'd always try and take that 
that spin on it. I was interested mm. in how people, um, you know, developed as as individuals or how companies use the outdoors as a medium and to facilitate whether it's employee development or organizational development. And, mm. and that was always an interest for me. So I always wrote my literature reviews and uh, I did my uh, major project on uh, designing a course for Surf Life Saving who I was working for at the time. Mm. Uh, yeah, so, and I guess that's where the business part kind of came in. My, my parents had their own business. I was always really interested and supportive by what they did. And, uh, and then I had the, uh, you know, the outdoor, um, you know, the outdoor interest. Mm, so mm. I guess that, that's kind of how the two came together. Mm. Um, and what, what, led you to, what led you to do the circumnavigation? I guess, yeah, that was the, I was heavily involved in surf lifesaving. Um, it was kind of like a, a um, you know, it's, it's a really, it was a really strong community as well. I guess uh, between university and surf lifesaving, that was like the two aspects of my life at, at that point in time. And um, I guess, yeah, the, the, the reading the books in Jersey, like the um, like crossing the, the South Pole mm. and um, traversing the Andes and uh, the expeditions to Everest, like they were just, you know, that that sense of adventure of pushing your body to 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 a limit was just fascinating mm. uh, to me. And um, yeah, and uh, a couple of friends who who were quite involved in surf life saving i kind of overheard the conversation and they said that that's what they were thinking about doing we I didn't, hadn't really known them for too long and i kind of just latched on and just said right i want to be part of this and, uh, <laughs> yeah and uh yeah so i kind of took up the role of like safety and planning and uh and kind of like did all the mapping and, and the weather stuff for the route and yeah and uh we managed to coincide it with uh a hundred years of surf life saving so it wasn't easy to get funding but it was like a way to celebrate an organization that's like uh, pretty core to the communities across new zealand mm. um so that was an integral part of the trip but also you know the challenge of seeing if we can get around new zealand in less than 40 days Mm, yeah. mm. and how was that experience for you because like i guess because we both did this course in the outdoors and i've always considered the outdoors and nature as something that's incredibly spiritual for me and something that really connects me there's almost kind of a longing for it and it makes sense when you consider our history as human beings you know for two hundred thousand years or so we would literally always consistently in nature and then we're in this environment now where we're so surrounded by um not nature <laughs> that yeah. you kind of you almost feel like once you get a taste of it again there's just this incredible longing for it and recently while well, i've been in melbourne and we've been in this lockdown i've had days where i've just all i've wanted to do is just be in the bush just completely surrounded by nature so i guess that experience for you doing that circumnavigation like what did you kind of feel during that experience did you feel more of a connection and and what did you kind of see um Probably, it's probably something that you reflect upon more. Personally, it's something I maybe reflect upon more than than at the time. Um, I guess we were, I was part of a group and we had a task at hand and we were quite focused on that. And, um, you know, and, and there was different personalities at play that kind of played themselves out across the trip. And you take into account like fatigue and, um, 
yeah, that that was pretty interesting. I found that interesting. I think at that point in time, I was more interested in the people side of things as opposed to the actual environment. And I think that kind of played out at university as well. Mm. Um, mm. I, I made comment to you a few months ago that, you know, uh, maybe one of the lecturers that we took for granted the most was uh, a guy named Ray Hollingsworth, mm. who maybe was trying to teach us stuff that was a bit before our time, you know, it, yeah. it makes more sense now than what it did at the time, you know, it's, I often remember he would stop us on a path and ask us to stand in silence for 10 minutes while all, like the birds came around, and I was like, what, you know, he'd often joke about, what's this guy doing, but... <laughs> It's just the pure act of like stopping and like taking in what's going on around us. Um, and then, you know, and, and hopefully later on, like a reflection on uh, how you're a part of that. Mm. But I don't know if they, they didn't really fully sink in at the time. It's something I've kind of looked back on more. Um, yeah, the, and I guess to, to circle back to like the, the, the trip around New Zealand, um, I think that the remoteness of some parts of New Zealand was um, was was pretty awesome. Um, mm. uh, there was a there was a time when we were off the the very bottom of the Stewart Island and um, crazy like crazy tidal movements and like whirlpools swirling around the island and we're right at the far tip and uh, we'd come ashore, uh, had some lunch at like what would be New Zealand's most southern beach, mm. and then we uh, went to the to the tip and uh we made a habit of uh, we had a little hip flask with us so we had a little swig of whiskey at the 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 north the south the east and the west um kind of uh, extremities of new zealand which was, yeah, which was wow. pretty cool and you know like when you're sitting down there you're like right so the next piece of landmass is is really antarctica from here that's and insane it, it is pretty vast yeah yeah i, I get so, what, that was, that was pretty cool. i get what you mean as well jason about the whole reflection thing um when you're younger, I think especially as a young male, and I can't speak for young women, but I feel like young women in general tend to reach this level of connection with, you know, spirituality and nature before men. But this is obviously speculation because I, I don't know the science behind it. But for me now, like a, a couple of the trips that I remember doing with you, like that kayak around um, Great Barrier, for example, and we had that that last night with all the dolphins that came into the bay and we swam with those dolphins and then they waited all night um, for us to to kind of wake up in the morning and say goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that experience, yeah. like, now I reflect upon it as just such an incredible experience. But back then it was, it was just a bragging right that I could tell my friends, whereas now it's something I hold with me incredibly dearly. So, so I, I, kind of, I kind of relate to that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's, I haven't even really thought about that moment until you just raised it. But yeah, that, that was pretty insane. Actually, we were the. I've never, you know, I've had close encounters with dolphins before, but never to the point of just like sitting in the water with them, with them swimming around you, and like you know, you can reach out and touch them. Uh, that was pretty insane. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I guess maybe you. I don't know if you. Maybe you you learn the lessons that at the point in time in what you need to learn them so i don't know um uh if if you if if you need to connect with nature um and that's the experience that's offered then that's 
that's what you'll maybe reflect on at that point in time. But if you need to connect with yourself or if you need to connect with other people, then that's the experience that you probably are offered and that's the part of it you'll reflect upon at the time. Mm-hmm. When you're younger, you kind of don't really, um, I don't know, you're just not as present in moments like that. But as you get older and you reflect back on those moments, you kind of, you I don't know about you, but I kind of almost crave more moments like that of just being because in that moment with the dolphins for me, for example, and maybe for you, it was down the most Southern tip of New Zealand. I don't remember thinking about anything else, but the dolphins, I was like literally there completely and hundred percent there. And I guess for me, that's, that's this idea of mindfulness and, and meditation. And when you're that age, you don't really think you're just like, Oh, sick hanging out with dolphins and I'm going to go tell all my mates about this later on. But now I kind of understand the importance of those tiny little moments. And that like in the morning, for example, when I see the sunrise now, I'm like so unbelievably amazed at what I'm seeing. But 22 year old Jack would have just been like, Oh, cool. I saw the sunrise. I'm going to tell my mates I woke up early. They'll think I'm cool. (laughs) I mean, you alluded to the, you uh, alluded to maybe a difference between males and females and stuff. And obviously I'm not the uh, same as you. I'm not going to speak on behalf of, of females, but I, I would say it's actually more an age thing or like a, um, I think what, you know, and, and maybe males are more prone to um, expressing this, but um, I would say that, you know, like when you're young, like as a kid and into a teenager, you're kind of trying to figure out who you are and your uh in your place in the world and you go through the education system and then you go through university and as you're going through university you know like the way we in which we structure it we become quite certain well we think we become quite certain of who we are and and the way the world works and we form these um you know through our uh through our friends and our family and uh, we we form these perceptions of the world and and how it works and we form quite strong beliefs um and, and you know and and they can become quite rigid you know mm. and, and you know and this is where you get some cultural divides and 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 so forth and then i think if you're fortunate enough to to drop some of those beliefs and perceptions um i think as you get a little bit older you you kind of realize actually i don't really fully understand how all this works and mm. i don't really fully um understand like my 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 place in the world and uh and I'm, and I'm okay with that that's fine mm. you know I've, I've still got more to learn and I know that might be counterintuitive to some other um you know uh, uh points of views but I just I think that's just that, that that's how I see it personally yeah I think that's a really elegant way to to put it Jason and I think you're definitely right and yeah I, I guess you're right like we can't really comment on the difference between males and females in terms of you know, whether they kind of develop this insight earlier than one another. Um, but yeah. maybe if someone's listening and they want to reach out and tell us, then that would be great. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on that front. Like when I was younger, like in my early 20s, I was like, all right, like my life is totally sorted. Like I know everything I need to know um, and I'm just going to live my dream life now. And then life happens and all of these unplanned events happen. And like you say, you, you realize more and more that actually you really do know nothing. And the more that you can embrace the fact that you really do know very little and there's, there's no definitive certainty around life, the easier it almost becomes. So I guess my question for you would be, you know, 
after this this course at uni and you kind of we almost kind of went out our separate ways in terms of what we did for a while and you went deep into I guess entrepreneurship but then you also got into the festival scene um tell me about that journey and and how it kind of changed your your point of views from being almost like this fixed mindset that you were when you were younger into where you are now which is someone who I consider to be you know very open-minded and just really keen to con- continue this path of, of growth and learning and understanding um I guess yeah I guess it probably comes back to that like kind of sense of adventure and I think uh, I'm not going to say that it's um innate in all of us but like I think it is a very humanistic trait to like want to know a bit more and explore a bit more and I think that if it hasn't been provided to us in our education systems or by our very close communities then you either accept your perception or you choose to go all right well how can I find out more and you know and a lot of that then comes down to travel doesn't it because if you immerse yourself in different parts of the world and different cultures then then there's no you don't really have any choice but to like um, start to try to understand a different way of thinking Mm. or different complexities that exist Um, so I think it was maybe just that and it's just probably a timing thing like uh, and a year earlier um uh you know I, i'd broken up with my girlfriend at the time and um and i was in a job that i did really enjoy but i struggled with like the bureaucracy and some of the the moral decisions that i didn't think aligned and i kind of just i just stood my ground and i said they offered me the job back and i just said nah i'm sorry that's i don't agree with that and uh, I, i'm not gonna do that and, and off i went yeah, mm. so I, I I went to Europe uh, with actually no real plans at all. I kind of travelled through Sri Lanka and Indonesia, and um, yeah, ended up in Europe uh, with uh, an old friend that I hadn't seen in years that uh, used to play water polo with, and we mm. ended up um, going to a few music festivals, and um, and then it just all kind of started to happen kind of fast. We went to a few music festivals. We we're in one in Berlin and. Uh, it was pretty hot and the beers were pretty warm and it's kind of seemed absurd that you couldn't buy um, couldn't buy ice and we uh, so we, we found the nearest petrol station and we uh, we we went and bought some some ice to cool down our our tropical punch that we'd made and uh, we woke up the next morning a bit daisy and the the Dutch and German people that we'd met they'd, they'd been out to the supermarket to buy ice for round two mm. you know and um, and then, and then on the next night we we went out again, and uh, we had to drive around three or four um, petrol stations because lots of people had gone out to buy ice, and it just happened that people had seen us walking back in, and they'd, they'd go, "Where'd you get that from? Where'd you get that from?" And you know, and, and by the end of the festival, you couldn't buy ice in any of the surrounding towns because it all sold out. Um, <laughs> I know the pain. Kind of, it's just kind of absurd. Like, yeah, um, it's such a simple concept. And anyway. Um, I guess I don't know how I describe it these days, but a bit of uh, a bit of blind optimism and just the desire to do something different. And uh, I guess mine and Ash's life kind of he was working in the corporate world in New Zealand and he wanted something different. And we sat down and kind of on the back of a piece of paper jotted down like what what good we think business can achieve and they kind of aligned and the way we went put in a bunch of applications and at the 11th hour 
three of those applications became successful and chucked some money in and started the business. Yeah. And what was the business? It was selling ice at music festivals. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I love it's it as so- well. I love it as well because then I guess the added bonus was you're at the stage in your life where you were trying to almost explore things uh, in terms of your spirituality and going to festivals and maybe trying a few drugs. And uh, then you're like, well, actually, if we start this business and we sell ice, we can actually get access to these festivals, do all the things we want to do personally. But then we also have a business that we can bring in some extra income on the side. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's how we imagined it would work. (laughs) And how did it actually work? Well, uh, I had a I had a dual citizenship to the UK, and so, and given the fact that me and Ash couldn't speak any other languages, we decided the best place to to launch the business was the UK. Mm. And yeah, just I didn't know anybody. Didn't know. Uh, yeah, just uh, we ended up on a farm in the about half an hour south of uh, Birmingham, of all places, that my parents had previously bought a. Uh, a camper van off the neighbor and I got his phone number and I rang him up and I was like hey look you don't know me but uh looking to start a business can we potentially just rent some space to refurbish the shipping container on your farm and, <laughs> and Martin said yes and and, and there, there we were and you know and I guess you, you chuck a bunch of money in and we did three festivals and you know I had some pretty tough lessons I remember one festival the first one was like it was like bucketing down with rain and there's people laughing at us that we were selling ice and, and one day we saw, we turned over seven pounds in a whole day that's you know we we're open for 12 hours and so, so. <laughs> as you know in new zealand or australian dollars it's a little over one dollar 20 an hour it's Man, just that's, like that's unreal it was um you know and then and then we went to the next festival and i guess on paper the festival kind of um it, it, it kind of broke broke even or we made a small profit and um mm. and because we'd put all this money into this the shipping container and and invest into this country we were like well um the coffee at these festivals is pretty shit so why don't we uh sell some coffee and um and ice and so we you know uh found some kiwis in london that had set up a coffee roastery and a few other people that worked there they liked festivals as well so that seemed like a good batch and um yeah, so we started doing coffee and ice. And, so you're basically hitting both target markets. You know, if it's raining, they can get coffee. If it's sunny, they get ice. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and if they really want to have an iced coffee, well, you got the ice already there. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And so, yeah, we um, we uh, th- that's what we did. We uh, we tried it once, and it was it worked enough to keep us interested. So we decided that um, we, you know, uh, we would spend the the start of year two like applying for more festivals mm-hmm. and and we still had the dream of being in europe so we applied for a bunch of european festivals and, and uk festivals and um yeah and we uh we, we didn't end up getting any in europe but we we increased the volume of festivals we did and um yeah and so that kind of we we we, we convinced ourselves to do year two Mm. Yeah. And and how did year two go compared to year one? It started really well. Um, uh, the first two made small profits, and then we had our third festival. And it was super sunny, and we 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 went a lot better than we ever expected. Um, but then, uh, yeah, it kind of came crashing down 
at the fourth festival and um, yeah just made some silly mistakes and kind of got ripped off a little bit but uh, you know you, you learn who you should work with and who you shouldn't and um, yeah so it, I guess at the end of the, the season it did actually wash out in a small profit and we took all that money and uh, we tried to open a, a bar in London um, to, to you know turn the business from a seasonal business to a uh, uh, you know a year-round business mm. um, but you know we obviously still had more lessons to learn and and that bar was open and closed within six weeks and, and everything was gone oh, so, <laughs> uh, you know I guess you keep repeating I don't, I don't know if they were repeated mistakes but they were just like kind of novice mistakes that you I guess you have to learn along the way whether you learn them in year one and two or whether you learn them in year five or year 10 you're still going to learn them at some point in time mm, mm, mm. well so, i think i yeah. think what you're what you're highlighting here in a way is i've got a couple of takeaways that i wanted to talk about one was um it's really crazy to see the contrast between your two trips to europe because the first time you went and it was super structured and you you were working the whole time and you came back with more money than than you had but you still had in the back of your mind you're like but have I really experienced anything? Like, have I, have I really kind of had any significant growth, I guess, from this? And then your second trip, you turn up, you know, less planning. You just turn up, you meet a friend, you go, well, fuck it, we're at a festival. There's no ice. Let's start a business. Let's sell some ice. And then you start selling some coffee and then you make some mistakes and then you make even more mistakes. And now you're probably sitting in a point where you wouldn't be able to return home with more money. <laughs> yeah <laughs> at the same time you've had all of these experiences and you know you, you may have seen them at the time as holy shit this is a big failure but really like those are such huge opportunities for growth would you agree yeah for sure yeah um and and you know i think at some point in time like um you do have to commit to something i, I think it's worthwhile to commit to something and like um i guess after that 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 second big failure we we kind of agreed that like okay, our time here in the UK is done and we were going to return home, but you know at the same time we'd built up a network and we'd learned a lot about uh, the UK and we'd learned a lot about the coffee industry and uh, we were starting to make observations and and have an interest and so you know uh, while we're kind of drowning our sorrows and finishing off all the leftover alcohol from the the failed bar. Um, <laughs> We, uh, after a few weeks of deciding that we were going to go home, I turned to Ash and I said, do we really want to go home though? Like, is that what we really want to do, you know? Or can we take what we've learned and apply it to, mm. to, something, to, to something fresh? And um, yeah, um, you, you know me quite well. I've always been quite like stubborn and determined. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, we just, we just rolled from one business into the next and um you know on some um you know uh, some people we'd met along the way who lent some incredibly generous favors to give us an opportunity to to start again and i guess that's how i i ended up up in in, in scotland yeah mm-hmm. uh, um but i think it's like i don't know how i guess you'll, you you find a way to like uh i don't know self-justification about why you make decisions and and, and the reason and i think that um the way I always looked at it was that I was all, you know, all the decisions I made along the way were heading in the right direction, but they just might've been an alternative path, you know, mm, to get there. Mm. Um, 
So, you know, I think if, if at any point in time I felt like, you know, my life was going not in a, in a positive direction, it probably would have been a red flag to, to do something different. But uh, ultimately I just felt like, yeah, um, yeah, it always felt good and it was going in, yeah, in a healthy direction. So just carry on. And I guess a little bit of background to that is that I think I mentioned earlier that I, I've always been interested in um, organizational development in the outdoors. And that's something that I'd ultimately like to, to, to get back to or revisit. Mm. But I just, I thought it would be, uh, whilst I studied all these things and had all these ideas, and you could probably go into a business where you set up these programs um, that help individuals and other businesses um, using the outdoors. I just thought it would be a bit hypocritical to not have any understanding of what it takes to actually build a business or run a business to then offer advice on how to someone else to improve theirs. So, you know, you go, well, why don't I give it a go of like, you know, starting a business, which of course is a lot harder than doing the university. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, the academic side of um, learning about the outdoors or even teaching in the outdoors, uh, you know, and uh, those are hard skills and they are fun, but um, the complexities of running mm. a business is, is pretty challenging. Yeah. So that, I guess that's how I looked at it. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, th- I think a couple of things I want to touch on there is first of all, like that's one thing that I've always admired, admired about you, Jason, is your ability to um, make decisions and just stick to your guns. Like obviously you mentioned before you come across as quite stubborn, but I think over the years that stubbornness has evolved uh, more into just your ability to look at problems objectively and just go, you know what, there's a solution to this. I'm going to find it. And when you find that solution, you make a decision, which a lot, a lot of people tend to struggle with. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people away from, you know, starting their own businesses, or I guess committing to continuing the, the adventure in business, because when you have that first failure, like we're laughing about it now, right? Like you had an ice truck and you put your money in a bar and in six weeks it was closed and you were drowning your sorrows. It's like, for a lot of people, that's fucking huge. Like, you know, you invested in a bar and then it failed in six weeks. Most people would go, well, fuck it. Like I'm giving up, I'm done. But your ability to go, well, okay. Like this is just another bump in the road and then commit to the trajectory anyway. Uh, I think it's, yeah. it's something to be really proud of. So that's one thing I, I wanted to acknowledge you on. No problem, bro. Um, and I guess, what was the other question I kind of had? I've kind of lost my train of thought now. I was praising you too much. (laughs) (laughs) It's very kind, mate. But Uh, yeah, I guess what's the kind of takeaway we can, we can get from this is you were kind of mentioning before how, you know, when we're younger, especially in our early twenties, we spend a lot of time exploring and like you traveled a lot. I know I traveled a lot and we kind of have this idea in our heads that, you know, freedom, which I think is almost a bit of an illusion anyway, but you know, freedom is to do whatever you want and you don't need to worry about money and there's no bosses and you don't need to commit to anything. But as you get older and I think you have these experiences, which you've had a lot of now, you know, these failed experiences, you can either choose one of two paths. You can either spend the rest of your life never committing to anything and living an illusion, which isn't freedom at all. Or you can make a decision to go, you know what, like I've explored, I've seen a lot of things, but I need to commit to something uh, in order to, I guess, have that that underlying purpose in my life. Is that something you kind of found at this transitionary point? 
Yeah, I think that, you, you know, what it's like when you move around a lot, you get tired of moving around. So, like, that became, I mean, we literally, in those first three years, I I, we, I have this orange bus, and we we lived and started a business from an orange bus. And there was bunk beds in the back of it, and, like, me and Ash basically slept above each other, moved ourselves to the table, opened our laptops, worked, worked for the day, traveled around the country. You know, it was like, that's a lot of fun, but it's like, it's also it's a pretty challenging environment to do a bunch of this stuff and there's no space or anything. So I think a big part of like the move to Scotland was, um, and uh, I met Caitlin at the time, who is a uh, director of common. Um, and yeah. And so we just wanted to just kind of settle down and just stop moving around. And so yeah. I think for the first time in over three years, it was the first time I had an address in the UK <laughs> that wasn't like a friend's a couch. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that was uh that was a good thing and then i think it's the you know the realization is like okay i've learned all this stuff um but you know we are essentially starting a fresh business you know again and there's a lot of building that takes needs to happen and um you know um and, and a lot of that takes time you know like if you want to build a brand and sell a product uh, you need to build you know a reputation and um and as much as you want to try and sweeten deals with pricing or fancy branding or advertising or whatever avenue you choose um i guess the most organic way to do it or the the, the most solid way to do it is, is to build relationships and <laughs> people don't trust you and you don't trust other people until you get to know them and mm you do that over a period of time. So you got to stop moving and focus on something. Mm, yeah. Mm. yeah, the only other thing I, I wanted to add to that, two of the things I just got out of what you said is, you just said the first one, which is focus. It's really, oh. it's almost impossible to focus on something that you, you know, you really enjoy and that you might want to turn into your passion or your business if you're continuously moving and jumping all over the place. So it's really important to like pay attention, I guess, to those I guess you could call them corrections, the failures, the the things that happen that don't go the right way and allow them to get you more into a place where you can focus on, yeah. on the path ahead, right? And then the other one is consistency, which you highlighted in relationships. If you're consistently, yeah. consistently building these relationships and consistently working on whatever it is you want to work on, then things are going to happen over time. But if you're moving around all over the place and jumping between things, which I did a shitload in my 20s, nothing yeah. ever sticks. No, no. Um, and I think you can see that, in, um, you know, and, you know, like I got friends that have, uh, they not, have not traveled as much and they've built businesses up in, um, in New Zealand and stuff. And, you know, and then they've, they've achieved, you know, uh, what's admirably like some very, some very solid success, you know, by doing so. Mm. Um, and it just, get, it, it gets easier. Things get easier. Um, because you know essentially all you're doing constantly is like you're learning solving a problem learning solving a problem so forth right and the more the bigger your network and the more solid those relationships the easier it is to solve a lot of those problems so mm. you know um what, what may have taken you know multiple emails and phone calls and maybe a meeting turns into just a simple phone call hey uh, can you please help me out with this and and normally it's done and you know that kind of um those kind of relationships and those kind of contacts is invaluable 
Like it's not recorded on a balance sheet or a financial position for a business. Mm. But to to progress things forward with that kind of uh, speed is just you, you can't quantify it. Mm, mm. So would you um, say would you say in terms of like if someone's listening to this right now and they're at that point in, in their life where they're like, okay, I've, I've done a bunch of amazing things, but now I really want to settle down and focus on this one passion of mine and maybe create a business like you have with common, which I guess we'll go into a little bit. You can maybe explain what common is and all the things you're yeah. working on now, but would be to prioritize those relationships. Yeah, I think that, I think that's, um, you know, with your friends and your family that you do hold, close to you and it's it's impossible for us as we go through life to maintain every relationship that we that we make and we all know that and mm. um and maybe as you get older we realize that the amount that we need to make us happy is slightly smaller than when we were maybe a teenager or in our 20s but um but it's important to do so and so yeah i think um yeah i, I couldn't place enough significance on like you know creating a good network around yourself of, of, of friends and family and, you know, and people in a professional capacity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, let's go back to, I guess, Jason's uh, storyline. So now you're in Scotland, <laughs> Scotland, right? In Scotland, yeah. In Edinburgh. And uh, you've actually got an address and the bus is parked up. I think at this point in time, you actually had some mechanical issues with the bus anyway, didn't you? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was, it was parked up for a while. <laughs> So, so talk me through, talk me through common, and I guess maybe try and incorporate all the lessons you'd learned from all those. I guess you could call them failed business ventures, or I guess the opportunities you learned through those business ventures. How did you apply those into common, and then, I guess, create a, a more um, long-term viable business? Um, okay, uh, that's a that's a long question. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? I try and dissect it. Um, <laughs> Okay, I guess like um, okay. So 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 from a foundation point of view, we wanted we've always wanted to conduct a business uh, in a way that is uh, environmentally sustainable, socially sustainable, and financially sustainable. Mm. Um, and we, Ash and I, and then Caitlin as well, we've always maintained, and this has remained true through all the things that we've done. Is that I think that business can be like a voice for good. Um, within our communities and within society. And uh, quite often in the media, um, especially with large corporations and kind of fraudulent and immoral behavior, businesses gets painted with the same brush as like, they can be greedy. Mm. And I just think that's simply not the case. Um, so uh, so that, those are the foundation things. Uh, then, and they were important to us in the events business and they're important to us in, in common. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then there's the coffee specific stuff that we kind of, we kind of took and, um, whilst coffee is, you know, coffee is the second most traded commodity in the world. It's a huge billion dollar industry. Um, but it's kind of split into, uh, without getting too technical, it's split into two parts. There's a commercial or commodity trade or commercial commercially traded coffee and there's specialty traded coffee and it's to do with the point system anyway we operate in the specialty uh, part of the market and um and, and that makes up somewhere between 10 and 15 percent of the entire coffee industry um but what we found through our first few years 
an uh, in, in event when we're selling just coffee at music festivals is we just, I, I found it a little bit um, unaccepting. Um, so it was, it was, it, it was a new trend. When I say new, it'd been 10 or 15 years um, in the UK, probably 20 to 30 years in New Zealand and Australia. Um, and, uh, it, you know, like you would go to like these tasting events and people would say, oh, this coffee tastes like Bergamont and lime zest or something like that. I don't know, whatever it was. <laughs> and, you know, and if it, people would be walking around the room and, you know, I don't know, you just felt like it. I personally felt and those that uh, like Ash and stuff, just that it needs to be more accessible. Like this product needs to be more accessible. It's kind of like fine wine a little bit or like whiskey. It's like, if you don't know, then you're not allowed in kind of thing. Mm. And um, I, I know a lot of your listeners are in Melbourne and Melbourne's probably progressed past the stage. And, you know, Melbourne is, um, would be considered the, you know, the capital of speciality coffee in the world. Like, yeah, it's it's amazing. I think here's something, maybe let me know if you agree with this or not, but there's almost been a transition to, um, I guess what you're describing almost is like kind of the snobbery around, it's very exclusive uh, in terms yeah. of, of of that specialty coffee. Whereas in Melbourne, it's, it's just converted to the whole, the entire population has become the exclusive snobbery population because everyone here is a little bit of a coffee snob, but it's not... Uh-huh. You know, it's not particularly people. It's just everyone just loves specialty coffee here, which yeah, I guess you don't really get in a lot of places. Yeah, maybe some of like the rhetoric's toned down a little bit. Or anyway, I mean, I mean, if every everyone has their own approach to it, um, and we just decided that we wanted to take a simplistic approach, and we just wanted to have four products that are really uh, we, we we moved away from like. And a lot of the industry has done this now, but like when we first launched, we were uh, one of the, the newer, one of the first companies I think to move to this. And we used pastel and bright colors. Uh, we weren't using black and white with like sharp corners. And, you know, like, so we, we tried to like liven it up a little bit. Um, we, the way in which we communicated information was um, kind of more like we, we led from a, a, a simple pre- uh, flavor profile so we went with uh, strong sweet bright and complex you know mm. um and then you know whilst the traceability of the product and the details of the product uh was still super important we presented that information secondary as opposed to straight off the bat and mm. so we just, we just we didn't really do anything different we just changed the way in which we presented the information to the customer um you know and um and yeah, and then we launched, um, mm. um, and we had some pretty good feedback and exposure from day one, um, and uh, yeah, and, and and so that was good. Um, and then we went through this big phase of trying to raise money. Um, you know, uh, a lot of startups, uh, especially in the UK, uh, um, you know, they're they're trying to build a brand and they're trying to raise capital and there's a whole lot of different approaches to doing that. And so we went through that process and, um, and we didn't manage to raise any and we, um, yeah, it it was, could be, it was a little disheartening at times. Um, We had a few offers that we thought undervalued what we'd achieved, maybe because we, maybe we overvalued what we were trying to do, but 
anyway, cut the cut the story short. Um, we basically went through this process maybe two or three times trying to raise money, and um, and then on, we had offers and we declined them, and then in hindsight, we've managed to close or close enough hit our sales targets, which uh, hit our sales targets and grow a business to a point where it's probably going to turn a small profit in year three and turn over, you know, not a huge amount, but a significant amount uh, without any investments. We haven't diluted any of that equity. And, um, you know, and it's, it's one of those things. It's kind of like, it is a hard way to go about it. And at times you, it's, it's hard not to look at your competitors and see what they're doing. And, you know, you, you know what budget they have available to them um, to do that because, it's expensive to run marketing campaigns and update packaging and have a fancy website and, and all that kind of stuff. And when you don't have much money to play with, you just do what you can. And I, I think the whole team has always been pretty resourceful mm. and um, yeah, we've managed to get it to a point where got a, a, you know, a couple of cafes and a wholesale business and an online retail business and, and yeah, it's all heading in the right direction and, you know, it's been a global pandemic and it's been challenging on everyone, but we've got a small team now and yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess like, regardless of whether there's a global pandemic or not, the fact that you've diversified your business in such a way that, you know, people still want coffee. I mean, you're drinking a coffee right now and like coffee is one of those things that unless all of the coffee beans in the world run out, people are going to keep drinking coffee. So you found yourself a niche, which is, I guess, uh, black swan proof in a sense. Or COVID proof. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of, a yeah. couple of things. Uh, a couple of things I just quickly pulled out there, bros. Um, do you think the fact that you didn't get any sort of outside investment made your team more uh, innovative in a way? Do you think if you'd kind of, you know, had that extra equity, you would have maybe not um, have had to be so innovative in solutions? I think it's the best way to answer that question is to only hypothesize. And if you want to ask me in 10 years time, how it all played out, then I think that's the, the best way to, to answer it. I think mm-hmm. what you, what you learn to do is you learn to be resourceful. Um, you learn to be dynamic uh, um, in your thinking. And I think what is super important. And I think the, the pandemic has really highlighted this and um, and I think it's really important to the overall conversation around sustainability is that you learn to be financially, um, I don't know, prudent. Like you kind of like you watch where your money is mm. um, and, and, and you look at the little things. And um, and I think that's super important. Um, for and I, uh, you can read all the business books under the world, and you know eventually they all kind of say the same thing, you know. And um, and watching how you 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 spend your money and managing your finances is, is super important. And sometimes when you have a lot of money available to spend, you spend a lot of money. It's mm. not necessarily spent well. Um, I, you know. Uh, it's difficult to comment when you're still in the very initial stages of it. Um, but mm. if you're making observations, then that would be an observation. Yeah, I guess yeah. 
I guess since we're kind of we've kind of fallen into a bit of a topic on on finance, I guess for individuals listening to this, regardless of whether you're wanting to start a business or maybe just achieve your own kind of financial security or um, maybe even financial freedom, uh, the important point there is it all comes down to watching your money and spending less and having more available to invest or start businesses or purchase things that are, are going to allow you to accumulate more wealth. Would you agree to that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, everyone has different priorities on like how they spend money, uh, right. Um, in our personal lives and in, in our work lives. And I think, you know, um, I, I, I learned not to, you know, when you go down this path and you, you know, you, you live on the, uh, you know, an oily rag for, for quite a while. Um, <laughs> you, I, I guess I didn't, I, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't not spend money on going to see my friends or going to a birthday or, um, you know, I haven't taken many holidays, but when there was an opportunity to take a holiday, kind of just try not to watch too much about how much money I was spending whilst on holiday because I think whilst it is important to watch that you don't want to stress about it either and uh, because financial stress is is uh, is a horrible thing and it, and it can kind of cripple us um, mm. and and I think if you were to sacrifice your own kind of physical health or mental health or the health of those around you in order to be financially stable then I don't think either is going to work out in the long run. So, mm. um, you know, so it's a, it's a hard question to answer. Like it's important to watch and, you know, and like, uh, like if it comes to like big ticket purchases or, um, you know, it's like, well, how much is that going to return? Do I really need to spend that? You know, but then when it would be like, well, should we all go out for a team dinner and beers? can't technically afford it but no we should definitely do that because that was important to like team morale or to like celebrate small winners small mm. wins or something if you're continually saving in those areas i just don't think it's um yeah it, it's worthwhile and i i think uh, this is just this is just my, my my honest perspective on it it's like we uh, i never skimped on we didn't skimp heaps on like where we chose to live or like, you know, I, I couldn't think of anything worse in, uh, once we moved out of the orange bus and into a place to like go and do 10 or 12 hours days to to come back to a place that you wouldn't enjoy or you wasn't comfortable to be in mm. because then you just dread being at home. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's healthy either. So it, it is a balancing act. And I think we all have our own priorities. Um, I think if you can strip away a lot of like the material spending and, uh, and place it on like, um, you know, um, stuff that benefits our health or our, our mental health, then I think that's where, that's where you make the, the choice on how to spend money. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good way to put it. And I guess I wasn't really thinking about that when I asked you the question, like, <laughs> what's the point in, you know, sleeping and shit and feeling shit for years and years and years and years and end to attain maybe a specific financial goal and then getting there and realizing that wasn't actually your goal in the first place. Your, your goal was actually just to, you know, feel more joy and uh, feel a bit more happiness in your life. And by giving up 10 years of 
you know, skimping out on everything, like hanging out with your friends and connecting with your family and going on those important trips or having those important business trips, you kind of end up getting to, I guess, your perceived goal of where you thought you'd be happy and realizing, well, hold on, I'm yeah. not happy. Maybe yeah. I need to make the decision to just be happy first. And maybe that does involve spending a bit of money hanging out with friends or, you know, spending that time with people you care about or investing in things that bring you a bit of comfort and, and health, like, you know, having a gym membership or having a nice bed that allows you to sleep seven and a half to nine hours a night instead of, you know, tossing and turning in your sleep and stressing out about the following day. I think that's really yeah. important what you just mentioned. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's super important. And I think like, you know, I, I think it's been well documented now that we, we can't um, link our happiness to like material connection or collections um, mm. or material wealth. It's just, it, I think it's been proven or it's been proven time and time again that it doesn't work. Mm. So uh, you, you need to be happy along the journey. That's not to say it's not going to be hard or you're not going to be challenged, but then that's what your community is for to kind of help you and support you through that. Um, mm. Mm. You know, and uh, yeah, it's been a challenging few months uh, personally for me, but like my, the friends that I've made back in the UK have been outstanding, you know, outstanding. And, you know, and friends like yourself and here in New Zealand as well. Mm. Um, well I'm technically on, in isolation at the moment <laughs> <laughs> in New Zealand. But uh, yeah, so I think that the importance of that can just never be underestimated. Um, yeah, and I guess that comes down to probably one of the underlying things we've been talking about without realizing is, and you mentioned it, is that importance of those relationships. And I think a lot of people, so I don't know if you kind of understand the, I guess, the science behind happiness, or you've done much research into it, but there's kind of these two parts to happiness, right? You have hedonic happiness, which is, you know, moments and experiences versus eudaimonic happiness, which is purpose and meaning. So that might be something like you, for example, having a business, something that every day you wake up and it gives you meaning in life. It makes you feel as if your existence is warranted, I guess, to, to put it yeah. in a really <laughs> blunt way. <laughs> Whereas hedonic happiness is what we often uh, falsely attribute to material things yeah. right so what what ends up happening is people fall into what they call a hedonic treadmill where you're constantly running to achieve a new materialistic target right a million bucks yeah. that mansion that yacht yeah. and all yeah. of these things aren't actually really what hedonic happiness is hedonic happiness when you when you really look at it is moments and experiences which bring you joy and it's healthy yeah. to have those but then it's also more important to develop some sort of purpose and meaning because eudaimonic happiness is long lasting Whereas hedonic yeah. happiness is short-term experiences. But the, the problem is a lot of people think, okay, short-term experiences will give me hedonic happiness, but they don't realize that those short-term experiences are best experienced in relationships or with laughter or those simple things in life, right? Going for a, for a hike uh, with a bunch of friends and seeing an incredible view, that's hedonic happiness versus yeah. buying the latest series BMW and driving around and hoping people will acknowledge, acknowledge you. <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean yeah but it, it, so i mean i i, I mean I, those are new terms to me so uh, it sounds it sounds pretty accurate um but would you say that, that it's important for those things to be in balance yes yeah definitely i yeah. think more and because more because it, it obviously yeah. you've talked about too far one way to is it hedonic happiness yeah but too far 
too much uh, emphasis on the other would mean that you miss out on those hedonic moments. Exactly. And that's not healthy either, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because, yeah. I so. think that's, that's where, like, I don't, I think you meditate quite a bit and obviously you've kind of explored this area of psychedelics and, and MDMA a little bit yourself as well. And I think that's one thing people are, are waking up to more and more. And I hate using the term waking up because probably people will be like, oh, woke, woke. <laughs> but I'm not meaning it that way. I'm meaning in terms of, you know, more and more people are kind of understanding that, you know, this hedonic happiness or this like laughter in a moment or this moment with the sunrise with someone beautiful next to you that you have a lot of love and compassion and kindness towards is so important. And what that ties back to really is what we were talking about way at the start of the podcast, when you were talking about your circumnavigation and our experience with the dolphins is that, that, that feeling of just being, in a moment and experiencing that that happiness that joy and yeah i think meditation has taught me to do that a lot more i mean obviously i'm nowhere near uh mastering my ability to to control my uh, anxious thoughts or or my ideas of want and craving but when i do experience those moments it's as simple as like the other day i was sitting in a park and there was a pigeon bobbing its head and i was i was so fucking happy dude just watching this pigeon yeah. like just bobbing his head. And the reason I was so happy was because I was experiencing a form of uh, hedonic happiness, just being in that moment and just enjoying that exact moment. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I do a little bit of meditation. Um, the, I think one thing I've learned, like, I, I don't get me wrong, my, my dad meditates a lot. I, I've read up a lot about meditation. I do a little bit myself and I, I, I 100% see its benefits. I think that... Um, as society goes through this this phase of like addressing mental health and becoming more mindful and stuff i think uh and and i would say meditation is one of the most important tools that we can use but i don't think we should get caught up on it because mm -hmm. what happens is that it's not for everyone and it's not um yeah it's something that's blasted across social media and any kind of journal you read and you know so people that might be struggling with something or people that uh um, you know, uh, trying to kind of reconnect and they try meditation and they don't like it and they don't enjoy it, then they, you know, they, oh, well, there's something wrong with me, you know, and mm. it, it perpetuates a cycle that's not healthy. Um, so I think it's important that we talk about the other areas in which you can experience like a meditative state, you know? And so it's been, um, you know, extreme sports, so like rock climbing, um, uh, surfing, um, I think yoga are, are considered some of the most meditative sports you can do because you're so focused on the moment um, mm. that, you know, and essentially that's what you're doing in meditation. We're not focused, but you're like trying to be in the moment mm. uh, from, from my understanding. Um, mm. So I think, you know, in things like gardening or, you know, or for some people it might be just like walking their dog with no mm. one else around, mm. you know, and, and they, they stop thinking about everything else and, mm. and more and more living in the moment. And I think mm. those are those are just as good a forms of meditation. So whatever kind of works for you, I think it's important that I do think it's important that people try meditation. Mm. Maybe just not from like just from the breathing aspect of it, and like just thinking about the breath, um, whether it's in a stressful situation or whether it's an actual meditation practice or whether it's in yoga or whether it's just sitting on a park bench. Um, that 
probably that part of meditation, like just focusing on the breath, whether it's for a minute, five minutes, half mm. an hour, mm. um, that, that, that is really important. Mm. But I, will, I just would encourage people not to get caught up on the actual meditation part because I think that, um, yeah, and maybe it's not for you right now and it might be something for you in the future or, or, or something, but like there's other things you can do. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with that, bro. That's, it can be incredibly overwhelming for people, especially now that meditation has almost become uh, the new tool of influences on the internet to kind of yeah. push forward. And like, I guess a lot of, a lot of what you hear about meditation and a lot of the things that you end up expecting from meditation just don't tend to happen mainly because you have these underlying expectations that the influencer who told you about all of these things that they'd experienced, which um, catch, they probably actually didn't experience. They're probably just saying it for, for likes potentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, doesn't actually happen. So you end up, it ends yeah. up being a really negative experience. So I really, really appreciate you saying that because even, yeah, I mean, like you say, if you just go for a run without your headphones on and without your phone there to distract you, and you're focusing on each step, each footfall. Essentially, yeah. what you're practicing there is is mindfulness in a, in a sense, and you're being in that moment. And like you said before, that's why so many people are drawn, I guess, to nature and extreme sports. Climbing a mountain, like you've done a bit of mountaineering yourself, like I've done a little bit of mountaineering myself. And when you're in that moment and you're so fucking cold and you're just focused on the next footstep, and it could be the same with running as well, right? Like you, you're not anywhere else but in that moment i'm pretty sure you read the book i've got it here with me now actually it's called explorers of the infinite it was a book that i had during university and uh i never actually did, read it you never read it okay yeah um the author maria coffee um she, you know she, she's she's kind of she taps into a um into like spiritual stories of and like kind of mindfulness stories of extreme sports people in the outdoors mm. and, and what they go through. And you know, it's, it's essentially that it's just like, you know, um, being in that moment. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's a pretty interesting book. I, I read it maybe 12 years ago. So I'm just, just started to reread it now. Mm. Um, yeah. I'll put, I'll put it in the show notes for anyone who wants to look at it and I'll chuck it on my Amazon wish list. So it'll definitely be read. I <laughs> think, <laughs> um, I think, there was something that I'd like that you've that you've brought up, uh, like kind of linking back to a few things we've talked about before that I would like to circle back to, and and it is the topic around um, around drugs actually, mm. um, and uh, by no means I'm going out to advocate for it, but uh, <laughs> I had a I had a conversation with a friend recently um, before I flew flew out to New Zealand, and we were talking about that kind of um switch from being quite certain on your view of the world and your perspective to kind of realizing that you don't really know too much and mm. and trying to uh, form new perspectives or new understanding and he he asked me he's like what do you think was the single biggest influence for making that switch and i I kind of, I broke it down to like, I actually broke it down to um, most of those conversations uh, came from, from festivals, you know, and, and, and I guess festivals were the first kind of environment in which, um, you know, for me personally, quite 
I guess quite late in life kind of started to to try different substances um, that I guess allowed these conversations to happen um, and I guess you know a lot of our socializing these days is um, is done over alcohol mm. and and you know it's well known that alcohol is a depressant and you know you feel good for two or three and mm. then if you ever notice if you're sitting around with friends that after two or three the conversation gets louder louder and more rowdy and people kind of you know more more personality comes out and then after five or six then generally a conversation will become um you start disagreeing with your friends mm. you know you become a bit more defensive you know you put walls up um, you defend your point of view and you, you stop listening to other people it, it, and for me personally that's a general pattern that I've just noticed that happens um, whereas, whereas if you're so let's just say you, you've taken some MDMA and uh, it could be in a festival setting or just in a, in a house setting and what I've noticed is that it breaks down barriers um, and and walls and allows, to, especially towards the end of the night or the end of the the time that you're sitting around socialising, more kind of intimate parts of a conversation will come up, and you'll discuss you'll start discussing things that are more personal to you and that you might not have discussed before, um, you know, and 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 then you start hearing other people's points of view and because of the chemical reaction in your brain you become more empathetic and more understanding and so you let that that point of view come in or you let that perspective come in mm. and and that might alter the way you see something or it just might alter uh the way that you that you view that person or their behavior but generally in a compassionate way mm. Mm. and um i'm not going to speak upon the science although i've read you know some reports that that is the case that is what's going on and mm. it seems to it, it, it seems to ring true mm. and i think that that's a super interesting thing and, and i think that's when i really started to 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 understand or listen to other people's points of views or the way they see things or the struggles that they have um that i wasn't aware of before mm. Mm. i think that's really yeah. powerful thanks for sharing that bro yeah cheers um and uh yeah i mean you can sometimes achieve that stuff sitting around a campfire if, if everyone stays up long enough um uh, but it takes a it takes a long time and, and, and maybe these substances uh you shouldn't rely on them but maybe they fast track some of these conversations and then once you're what i have noticed amongst the group of friends and watch um, these experiences have, have happened in the UK is it's so much easier to replicate that conversation in a situation where there's no alcohol or no drugs the next time around, mm. you know? Yeah. Mm. So because you've started the motion. Mm. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And in regards to, you mentioned some of the studies that were being done around MDMA and ketamine and, you know, other, I guess, substances that put you in this kind of altered state of mind is, you know, like some of the trials they're doing are, you know, on, you know, ex-military who suffer from PTSD and people with anxiety and depression. And again, like you say, like neither of us should really comment on the science and um, it's, it's still relatively new, but a lot of the early studies are, are showing 
evidence that these people who have been unable to talk about and properly analyze these things that are going on in their head because they're so buried under all of the anxiety and the stress they feel of them, when they take these substances and they are in this altered state, they're about to they're, they're able to talk about it objectively and and actually understand what it is that's going on in their mind. And that kind of stuff is powerful. And when you look at the history of these drugs, you know, that I can't remember the guy, it was a husband and wife that basically started this whole movement. Um, I can't remember their names, but when they started creating these substances, their intention the whole time was to create something that would uh, be used as medicine, not as something yeah. where that was considered illegal or a party drug. But unfortunately it didn't happen that way. But I think there's kind of this roundabout turn that's happening, right? Where, yeah it's getting to the point now where people are starting to realize okay hold on like we actually can use these as a form of medicine instead of frowning upon them and refusing to understand the potential benefits yeah for sure like uh it's 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 i hope it's a um a topic that just keeps getting studied and mm. becomes more you know more more commonly talked about um mm. Yeah, I, I think that's the only hope that we can kind of have for the, the, you know, for the subject. And it's a shame that we lost a lot of years of science through it being made elite. But um, I think I think you're referring to. I just had a quick Google search. Is it Albert Hoffman and his wife? That's the one. Today. That's the one. I think Albert Hoffman today. recently recently passed away too, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah um, and you know, I think a lot of the uh, these substances that have been synthesized, um, you know, we're we're done in, in in its initial stages for therapeutic reasons. Um, and yeah, that, that I know they're used in recreational settings and social settings, and 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 that and I I've done that. Um, and you know, and I each to their own, I guess. But I think it, it'd be what's what's definitely striking is the the therapeutic part of it mm -hmm. and uh yeah yeah so, I, I guess as well just from a first of all that uh albert hoffman dude that guy was a cowboy did you hear the stories of him testing the drugs on himself like the the, <laughs> the trips that he would have had just figuring yeah. all this shit out is unbelievable he's just like this grandpa figure and his in his little shack testing out, you know, <laughs> raw LSD and MDMA. And he's probably having these crazy trips. And he journaled the whole thing. It was mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, but, that, I mean, there's a lot of people that have followed in his footsteps as well. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I guess the topic of legalization, though, like, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I don't know if you follow much of what happens in Portugal right now with, you know, they've basically legalized everything. Um, I'm uh, not too sure on the exact specifics of it, but they're... I think the initial results that they're seeing um, in terms of the legalization of drugs and being able to control it and offer people the help they need rather than them turning to like really, you know, poorly made substances as an alternative. I think they're starting to see some really interesting results. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't read up too much. I don't think it's legalized. I think it's decriminalized, but it's, it. and it's, and it's not. Um, so yeah it's decriminalized uh for i think most pretty much all um from uh, all all substances uh class a included. um so i guess that's uh it's definitely a step forward for uh, people that that are using and it makes um but it doesn't really 
control the supply chain and it doesn't really control the uh, the crime associated with that and it doesn't um you know like how pure some of the substances are um which is which is still a big uh, social dilemma right um yeah uh, i think yeah I, I think some of the initial studies coming out uh, uh are showing that the the rate of use and and, and abuse for that matter uh, are declining and um, it's been treated as a health issue, um, which I guess all addiction should be treated as a health issue. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the next 10 to 20 years. Um, yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll all become kind of Albert Hoffman's. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Everyone would be just way too high <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess I... Uh, I haven't delved into it too much, but I do have an interest in like the kind of more traditional um, mm. psychedelic uh, plant medicine stuff. That's um, that's pretty interesting uh, yeah. to read up on and 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 watch about. And I think a a, a underlying theme uh, is 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 about connection, and is, and it comes back to that word understanding again. You know, um, understanding uh, our connection with the natural world. Mm. Uh, with the with the people around us and therefore uh, our understanding of ourselves mm. you know yeah yeah i totally agree but and it's really interesting you just brought up plant medicine one of the big things that i want to um get into and understand more is ayahuasca which um assuming you've probably heard of it's kind of becoming a the next big big uh, influencer thing i guess <laughs> a lot yeah. of people are talking about it over the media but more so what you're mentioning just plant-based medicine in general and like you said there's that was you know before screens and technology and all of the stuff that we have today like that was like you say our connection to the natural world and when you look in we talked about this the other day you know off the air before recording this podcast when you when you look at religious texts and regardless of what the religious texts are you know the bible the bhagavad gita the Old Testament, New Testament, whatever the religious texts are, there's there's constantly these references to, um, to I guess the usage of these plant based medicines in a roundabout way, um, yeah. and it's really interesting to see that you know archaeologists and um, researchers are starting to discover you know these old tabernacles, for example, that have the remnants of you know marijuana resin or plant based medicines, and they're starting to realize more and more that these people will be were able to create these stories and this connection to nature and these amazing structures that so many people base their lives on now because they were in this altered state <laughs> using plant based yeah. medicines. It's mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, yeah, and and the science is is progressing super mm-hmm. fast, which is really interesting, and it's going to be really cool to. To, to see hopefully the two come together so like you know uh, traditional medicine plant-based medicine and and some of the science uh you know we can study brain activity and uh, we can document the changes um that it creates in individuals mm. uh, but i think you know like it all comes back to like uh, it's probably res- it's resurfaced for, for a number of reasons but i'd just say one of the main reasons is just you know, it's just that long, that, that, that search for like, who are we? Why are we here? Like, you know, wh- wh- how do I fit into all this? And that's a search that that's not new. That's not a question that, you know, has only been asked in the last century. That's just a question that's stand true for, you know, f- for since the beginning of, of humanity, really. Mm, mm. Um, and 
yeah and i think <laughs> the way um you know aspects of the western world are, are heading uh, people are becoming disillusioned <laughs> with with some of the systems that are in place and the people that are run those systems and so they go well actually i need to look somewhere else to find these answers and they're, they're heading to more eastern practices mm, yeah I, I agree for sure i would i would speculate as well that you speak of that kind of understanding of who we are and, and why we're here and again this is total speculation and this is my own theories but I would wager that our ancestors, you know, hunter gatherers and when these people were super connected with nature and they believed that death was just another gateway where, you know, our being became something else and we we're all part of something much, much greater than the individual. I would wager that those people had a real idea of their why and their purpose because they didn't kind of, they weren't so individualistic and they weren't so set on this life being the only thing that really matters they were so much more connected with everything and realizing that they were just another another cog in the wheel what do you think yeah. of that yeah 100 percent. and like i mean i have been uh, um, yeah watching a few little documentaries and clips and stuff at the moment and you know another common theme was that all these ceremonies were always taken uh, you know very rarely was the medicine ever ingested by one individual at a time it was always done in a practice of a ceremony so mm. the the way in which they were conducted um always meant there had to be multiple people taking part you know mm. and um yeah i think that that's um that's that's a large part of it and um and i i guess hopefully they will they will look at that because i know right now some of the 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 western use of it and for like treatment of anxiety and depression is being done in i could be wrong but in a lot of cases it's been done on an individual basis so like one person comes in with um you know uh, a psychologist and and they they get a treatment and, and and that's amazing right but i think the environment in which it's conducted with multiple people is uh, is also, also seems to be part of it so mm. hopefully that hopefully they they, they keep, keep looking into that mm. i think yeah. they will bro I'm, I'm very optimistic about the space the more kind of conversations i have about this and the the more that's kind of streamed through more so now like mainstream social media i guess it's not really mainstream media anymore it's like mainstream social media <laughs> yeah. you're kind of seeing more and more people warming up to the idea that okay well i guess maybe we had it wrong about this stuff and potentially this could be put to some incredible use yeah yeah anyway yeah, bro how, how how can we connect all of these completely diverse <laughs> lessons that you've learned in your life so far from entrepreneurship to smashing mdma at festivals and bring them into maybe maybe five things that you've i guess learned that you would want to impart on someone who's listening to this who's at a stage in their life where they think they've got everything sorted but they know there's something missing i guess like you were when you were younger what would be five things you would tell them to do now or consider doing now? Um, okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess the first bit of advice, I wouldn't really say anything until they asked a question because I think um, I've been guilty in the past of, of offering advice uh, before listening to what the person has to say. 
Mm. Um, and what, um, you know, what specific issues that, that, that they're concerned about. Um, and then I would do my best to, which is not easy to do, then I'd do my best not to then impose my experience on top of, you know, said person that, are, that, is, that is asking questions. Mm. Uh, which is which is super hard to do and then yeah and then I guess if that question was asked I would probably just uh, say things like do what feels right I think that's super important mm. um, and then I would say try to find balance um and you know uh, maybe a question would be around like uh, i don't uh, you know I, I i don't know what to do or i don't you know I, I don't know what i'm passionate about or something like that and try and find balance so try and find out what other people are doing and what they're passionate about and ask questions and, and find out how how they got to where they were and, and you might understand that and that will then in turn hope you understand what you want to do um, you know, it also might confuse you more, but I think if it's done in the right way, you'll find more understanding. Mm. Um, um, yeah, and then I would just say, I don't know, like try and block out the what ifs, like try and put them to one side. Mm. You know, if you're you know, if, if you're fortunate enough to have a supportive, um, which I guess not everyone is, but a lot of people uh, are fortunate enough to have a supportive family and friends, um, then then just, yeah, try and block out the what ifs. Try and block out the, oh, what if I lose my career or my job or what if I can't buy a house within the next five years or what if I lose all my savings mm. like it's kind of like so it doesn't really matter like you know you don't take any of it with you you know exactly. all you all you really get to look forward to is to sit in an old rocking chair and spinning an elaborate yarn about what you did 60 years ago so and you you might as well have a good elaborate yarn to spin I like that. I like yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's pretty I good. Know, that, that, that was off the cuff, so I didn't really yeah. think. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think to kind of like um, pull out what you said there. You know that that idea of thinking about the what ifs, it just paralyzes people with fear, and then they never actually do something. And it's funny, right? Like people sit there and go, oh, like, I don't have any purpose. I don't have any meaning. So like, what's the point of doing anything? Because I've got to wait for purpose and meaning to come to me. And it's just simply not true. That's, that's you starting to go into that mindset of questioning the what ifs. So, you know, like you're kind of waiting for something to happen rather than actually doing something. So I guess a big takeaway for me from that and what I would add to that is to just do things, to just try things and take some actions and learn along the way, like you did with those businesses. Maybe people don't have to, um, you know, set up a bar and six weeks, close it down, but whatever it is that they try along the way, don't get caught up in the things that you fuck up. Just, just keep trying until you find something that 
that gives you that kind of purpose and meaning. Yeah, like you don't have to like like I kind of just chucked everything into one basket and went for it, and you know, that's one way of doing it. But you don't have to do it that way. Like if you've got an idea or something that you're passionate about, um, and, and you have a job, you know, I've heard so many stories of employees being employers being so much more accommodating. Just be open and, and honest and say, can I go to four days a week, or can I do you know uh, twenty four hours a week or something, and test it out on the side, or even if you have to keep doing a full time job, well. Just give yourself six months to go, can I get this idea off the ground? Has it got some legs? You can test out ideas in a lot more of a safe manner before jumping all in. But inevitably, the moment will come where you'll have to still make a decision about, mm. you know, do I really want to commit to this and, and, and go for it? So, mm. Mm. yeah, there, there are different ways of doing it. Cool, bro. Hey, uh, yeah. before I before I guess I get your details, I don't know what social media you actually have anymore, so I don't know how people will stay in touch with you. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you four questions. So it's four yeah. and one now, and then you get one for me at the end. Okay. So yeah. I'll, I'll do some quick fire ones. First one, your dream business venture. <laughs> um, uh, we've got this idea of the Common Lodge, which would be based on a. I got this idea of like a vineyard and a coffee roastery on the same place that has an events room that you can run organizational development out of. Oh, that's so, sick. Yeah. So vineyard, coffee roastery, like with a restaurant and, uh, and then an events room that you can. That's amazing. Is that something you'd, is that something you'd want to do? Can you do that in Scotland? Like does Scotland have vineyards? No, it'd be like more of a, a New Zealand or, yeah, I was gonna a say. <laughs> or a European project. Yeah. But I think it'd be quite cool. It's been a bit of a joke that we've been passing around for, for a year now. But yeah. It's kind of not becoming a joke anymore by the sounds of it. I, I think we'd be a, at least a decade off doing something like that, but it'd be a nice way to pull it all together. That's awesome, bro. Sick. Um, next one for you. Your next psychedelic experience. What's it going to be? <laughs> um I had a, a f when I get out of this isolation uh, I got a friend that lives out in the Waitakere's so we might have a a Sunday afternoon um yeah um on some LSD or some mushrooms otherwise um I don't know I'd really like to do it without any alcohol um and and probably not in a like, like not at a at a festival um yeah, yeah. Uh, I've always been quite conservative with not, I never taken too much to um, so I don't know I'm contemplating the idea of of, of pushing it a little bit more cool you have to let me know about that <laughs> we'll see and just any, <laughs> anyone, anyone listening to this who thinks that this is a podcast that's telling you to go and take a bunch of drugs please don't think that like be smart <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I guess yeah make your own just do whatever feels right like make, yeah. make your own choices yeah 100% okay next one number one book recommendation Ooh. you mentioned explorers of the infinite before is it that or maybe a different one no nah, it's not that I've enjoyed reading that um yeah I, there's so many um I, I wouldn't say this is my number one book recommendation but it is a book that i've just recently read and it's a super simple read mm. and it, it, it is written by an american author so it's no offense to american authors but it is kind of um 
it's it's a pretty full on like it's kind of like in that kind of uh, American style. But <laughs> I've just recently got a dog in the last year and a half, and I never thought I'd own a dog, and I love having it, having mm. one. But this guy, um, he's written this book called Loving Everywhere. His name's Michael Chase. Um, Loving everyone, and it is um, along the ideas of you know trying to live life the way a dog lives life and how it interacts with the world which is very much in the moment and very much like non-judgmental mm. and i think there's a lot of cool things that you can pull from it um, yeah so it's a uh, it, it's a very easy read uh, and it's a bit of a laugh and if you've had a dog before you you will laugh through it um but yeah it, it, it's a nice book it's cool I love that. Maybe it'll get people acting like dogs, especially during this uh, <laughs> this crazy period. I mean, one thing that I've noticed for sure is, you know, as much as COVID-19 is affecting humans, dogs are pumped, man. Like they're still pumped. They don't know anything's going on. They're still, you know, licking butts and sniffing butts and pooping everywhere and watching their owners <laughs> pick it up. Like they just don't give a fuck. So maybe it'll allow people to be a little bit more present like dogs, but just without the yeah. poop everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Last one for you, bro. Uh, yeah. What would you do in the event of a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> um, is it like does it just happen, or is there pre-warning that it's, that it's an impending doom? That's a that's a good follow-up question. I'm going to say it's just happened because <laughs> it just happens. I yeah, tried probably. I guess because so, I don't own one, I'd have to try and find like an abandoned yacht or steal a yacht or find a jump on somebody's yacht and find a way to a deserted island and just go live there for a while. Nice. Turn my phone off. Nice. Yeah. I like that. I guess you just got to focus on the food thing and the water. So you'd have to pick yeah. a good deserted island. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably quite a few. There's probably quite a few off New Zealand. Yeah. True that. True that. You've got a Waiheke, mate. You could go to Waiheke and build a lodge. It's not deserted, though, is it? Yeah, true. Yeah, zombies might like it there. <laughs> Free wine. <laughs> cool, bro. Yeah. You, get a you get a question for me. All right. I got a, a somewhat of a serious question. Okay. Um, I just want to get your perspective on something, and it is a subject that gets talked about um, a lot at the moment um, through a whole lot of like self-help mediums and that's to do with like um, losing your losing your ego and I know it's I've watched a bit of your podcast in the, in the past and I know it's a topic that you've discussed quite a quite a bit there is a famous philosopher called Alan Watts who came out with a saying and the saying was um one of the biggest ego trips going around is the idea of losing your ego. What do you think about that? Mm. Say it again. One of the biggest ego trips going around is the idea that you can get rid of your ego. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. It makes sense because I think as much as you try, and people have tried. I don't think anyone's ever fully got rid of their ego, apart from maybe some monks. Yeah. Yeah, I think especially that's something I battled with a few years ago when I started getting into meditation. 
and I've realized more and more that, especially because I've experienced a lot of, uh, you know, short-term pleasures and I've experienced a lot of short-term suffering, I think it, it almost makes it, I think it's almost impossible to do so unless you grow up in an environment which is, um, you know, inherently altruistic or completely abandoned of ego, which is why I think a lot of monks get close yeah. because they, they grow, they literally grow up in an environment where they don't, they're not able to develop a strong sense of ego because they, yeah. they, they abandon themselves from pleasures like the majority of us do. So I think if you haven't had that growing up, I agree with that quote. Like it's, it's kind of a pointless aim. You've just got to learn to manage it really yeah because i think like harness well like you know i think the word ego is kind of misrepresented quite a lot um and like you know harnessed well it is something that creates drive that creates mm. determination you know and, th and those are things that are that are really good and mm. and you know and some of that those things come from a um a sense of self-belief you know and and those aspects of it i think are, are very beneficial to not only us as individuals but also society obviously used in a, uh, a more narcissistic way it, it, you know it, it's not healthy so i don't know just i i know it's a topic that's, that's discussed widely and it, it's featured on your show and i just wanted to put that out there yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. I think we could probably spend two hours discussing it and still only, <laughs> still only gain about a 0.005% of traction. But <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. That was a good one. Cool. I've not had that question at all before. So thank you for that. Sweet. Um, it's well, been fun. Bro, do you have anywhere that people can get a hold of you? Are you on any social medias? Um, I just use, I, I have a purse. Yeah, I've deactivated, face, I've deactivated Facebook, unfortunately, and I kind of, yeah, I, I've stayed strong for a while now, so I think I'm just going to keep that deactivated. Um, but I use Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, I don't post that much, but uh, I I am active on it. Yeah, mm -hmm. so you can you can get in touch. Um, it's just uh, Jace, uh, J A S E, and then Harvey. Yeah, nice. No. And what about uh, your business? So, Common Coffee. Oh, yeah. Common Coffee is um, I I Common. Cool. Yeah. And uh, for anyone who wants to get delicious coffee, you do international orders, right? Yeah, yeah. We ship uh, yeah. all across the world. I think there's quite a significant delay at the moment to uh, Australia. Um, yeah, a bit. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah well, we, we've shipped a few times to Australia. Yeah, nice. I think the, the audience now anyway is quite global. I think 20% of my audience is American, which is surprising. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. For, for anyone who does uh, want to have some delicious coffee, I'll leave that in the show notes. And if you want to maybe send Jace a message and get philosophical or maybe talk about MDMA or business, <laughs> I mean, two very contrasting ideas. But yeah, I'll leave your Instagram in there as well. Cool. Awesome. Cheers, Thanks, mate. bro. It's been awesome. Cool. It's been fun. Yeah. Hello again, friend. Thanks for listening to the entirety of that episode. I truly appreciate you tuning in. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe on whatever platform you're using. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, huge favor to ask you. Can you please leave a five-star rating? 
leave a comment, leave a review, and be sure to share this with anyone in your life that you think it'll impact positively. Uh, each and every rating and, the, and review that we get on Apple Podcasts helps beat the algorithm and get the podcast out to more people. And I think these conversations are worth sharing. So thanks once again, and we'll see you in the next episode of Couple of Lattes.